This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. West Virginia's aging population means more and more families are struggling to care for and understand loved ones who are in mental and physical decline. 20 years before someone develops symptoms, they have stuff going on in their brain. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. The West Virginia Public Service Commission has set a timeline for Mon Power to evaluate the purchase of a northern West Virginia power plant. Curtis Tate has more. The PSC has asked Mon Power to submit a report by March 31st on the potential for purchasing the Pleasance Power Station from Energy Harbor. The 1,300-megawatt coal-burning plant on the Ohio River is supposed to shut down this year unless a buyer steps forward. West Virginia's consumer advocate recommended that Mon Power purchase the plant. Pleasance has pollution controls that remove most nitrogen oxide from its emissions. Mon Power's Fort Martin Power Station does not remove as much NOx and must purchase credits which have increased in price. Environmental and consumer groups oppose the purchase of Pleasance. They say Mon Power should look at acquiring other sources of power, such as wind and solar. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Senate leadership is recommending the DHHR implement dozens of child welfare policy changes. Randy Yowie has the latest. West Virginia's Senate leadership sent a seven-page letter to the Department of Health and Human Resources Interim Secretary Dr. Jeffrey Coben suggesting changes to improve child welfare outcomes. Senate President Craig Blair, a Republican from Berkeley County, says the initiatives outlined in the letter come from months of data collection and expert input. The recommendations call for reallocating Child Protective Services workers to underserved counties, streamlining worker caseloads, and creating child welfare preventive policies. The letter highlights the need for increased pay for workers in the eastern panhandle. You end up with two and three times the amount of work that you do in other areas of the state, but your pay is exactly the same. Coben said he appreciated the recommendations and will respond promptly. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. More funding from the state is going towards the completion of the Berkeley Springs Bypass in Morgan County. Shepard Snyder has more. The round of funding was officially awarded to ALL Construction last month, totaling nearly $35 million. The bypass construction is part of Governor Jim Justice's Roads to Prosperity program and is meant to divert traffic congestion on U.S. Route 522, which goes through Berkeley Springs. An initial $60 million in funding for the project was granted in 2020. The project will see three and a half miles of four-lane highway completed in Morgan County from Winchester Grade Road south of Berkeley Springs to State Route 9. This round of funding will connect the northern section of the bypass with Route 522 north of the town, adding two bridges and a connecting road to War Memorial Hospital along the way. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg. Water woes continue in Raleigh County with some residents in Beckley without water since a polar vortex gripped the state over Christmas weekend. Caroline McGregor reports. Raleigh County schools remain closed until Thursday as communities throughout the county wait for water service to return to normal. On Tuesday, the Beckley Water Company said crews continue to work to restore normal water conditions as quickly as possible. 
West Virginia American Water is assisting in repairing leaks. On its Facebook page, the company stated customers in the rural community of Odd, Glen Daniels and Fairdale can also expect to see their water service restored, some more slowly than others, starting Tuesday. Plummeting temperatures over the Christmas weekend caused frozen and broken water pipes, leading to 2 million gallons of leaked water from businesses and homes. Resulting problems with pressure in lines and water tanks in Beckley, where the main water line is located, affected surrounding communities, and at one point nearly 5,000 homes and businesses were without water. The Raleigh County Emergency Operations Center is offering regular updates on the situation, and on their Facebook page Tuesday it was stated that Prosperity and Sophia are slowly returning to normal. Arnett customers, however, may be without full water service for at least another week. Potable and non-potable water distribution sites are set up around the affected area. Check the Raleigh County Emergency Operations Center Facebook page for details. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 748. Scattered rain and possibly thunderstorms today with gusty wind, highs in the 50s and 60s. Partly cloudy overnight with a chance of rain, lows in the 30s and 40s. Tomorrow, mostly sunny skies with highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. Many West Virginia adults find themselves in the difficult position of caring for their children and looking after their parents at the same time. Conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's are problems, but so are mobility and safety issues at home. It can be stress-inducing and makes many people wonder if there is any help available and where to get it. News director Eric Douglas has found himself in the same position and wondered the same things. This is the first installment of an interview series with experts to talk about things people need to know as they get older or when helping aging parents. Dr. Lynn Goebel is a professor of internal medicine and geriatrics at Marshall University. She works with Hanshaw Geriatrics Center. She spoke with Eric to explain what is going on inside the brain. Help me understand what's going on in somebody's mind or what's happening when, um, when Alzheimer's, dementia, when those, those sorts of things start happening. From a pathologic point of view, I can tell you that uh, 20 years before someone develops symptoms, they have stuff going on in their brain. Oh, interesting. So you're already developing these amyloid plaques in the brain. Uh, And then usually someone will start noticing that they're having some trouble with their memory. There's usually their short-term memory and they may still be functioning well, And that uh, we call mild cognitive impairment. And it's a precursor 
uh, sometimes to the full-blown dementia. And that stage lasts about five years where someone has some problems, they know they have trouble, but they're still able to get it together and they use, you know, lists and other things, their, their smartphones uh, to help them keep on track and, and function well. This is a, a layer or a plaque that's forming within the brain that's causing the brain to misfire effectively. I mean, is it? Probably. And then there's also uh, the next stage where you have actual uh, buildup of protein inside the neurons or the nerve cells. And this particular protein is toxic and it kills the cells. So as the disease progresses, you're going to have death of these nerve cells and that's where people lose function and they lose memories. Okay. So the, the plaque is the first stage. Then the, this, this protein buildup uh, is, is kind of a secondary stage, that's, but really is where the, the trouble is, sets in. We're still in the, we, you know, finding out exactly what causes this disease. And uh, initially, you know, we thought, oh, if we get rid of this plaque, then we would be able to cure this disease. Well, some of the drugs that are out there uh, that they're still studying uh, are are targeting that, but we're not seeing the results that we hoped for. In, uh, in people with early stage disease, we may be seeing stabilization, but we still need to do more study on that kind of drug. Is there a test for this? I mean, is there any way to know definitively early on or is it something you suspect? And So right now we diagnose this clinically. So you'll go to a specialist, which could be either a geriatrician or a psychiatrist or a neurologist. And that would be the kind of doctor that would do this specialized testing. And, uh, you know, we, we do memory tests. And we also look at the patient and see how they're functioning because that functioning part is, is also key to making a diagnosis of actual dementia as opposed to that mild cognitive impairment thing. Does that help any to, to have that kind of diagnosis by, by some kind of test? Is, is that, is there any reason to do that versus uh, the progression? I mean, there, yes. even if you found out 20 years before the significant onset, we don't really have any medications to treat it. We, there's no, there's nothing, there's no surgery to remove it. So they did a study where they did this amyloid PET scan on people. And the people that we found out that had probable Alzheimer's disease based on that study, based on that scan, we did treat them differently. We gave them more medications. Families were able to plan better for the future. And I think it did make a difference in those patients. So I, I think it is a good thing to try to get that diagnosis made. Now, as far as uh, you know, disease-modifying treatments, we don't have that right now, but I think it's in the near future. Let's talk about caregivers for a moment. What, as a geriatrician, I assume that that's one of your, you're also working with the families and so what do families need to know? What do caregivers need to know? I always recommend the Alzheimer's Disease Association 
they have an 800 number that's 24 hours. So if you have a, a crisis situation, you can call and talk to someone who, who can possibly help you right at that moment. They also have a wonderful website with all kinds of very important information on there. And depending on the stage of the patient, uh, they can help with a variety of things. Uh, such as in the early stages, you want to do uh, some planning and make sure you have um, all your legal paperwork and power of attorney in place. Uh, and also make plans for yourself as far as being able to say what you want to happen in the event that things get worse. And then later on, there's other, you know, other stages of disease where you're dealing with communication issues and the caregivers really need training on that. We know that medication for behaviors is not great. In fact, certain medications can increase the risk of death in people with dementia. So we try to get caregivers to take training and to learn how to get around certain behaviors. For instance, if a patient is not wanting to take a bath, which happens very regularly, um, you know, how, how can you deal with this in a way to get the patient to do it, but uh, that's not going to be horrible for everyone. So, uh, so there's, there's a lot of training out there for caregivers. That was Dr. Linda Goble from the Hanshaw Geriatric Center at Marshall University. Speaking with Eric Douglas, this is the first of a series of interviews with experts in aging called Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.